0: I'd always had an interest in security, and now I think everyone's learned that everybody writing code is responsible for security. It's all evangelism. You've got to convince these people that the way they're viewing the world is you know, not comprehensive enough and that's a big uphill climb. Developers fundamentally they're building functionality, they're building
1: scale, they don't set out to build something secure, they set out to build something that does something
0: there's a couple of different reasons of why an organization isn't addressing security risk, and it kind of goes along the maturity spectrum, where at, at every level of maturity you have an excuse not to address security.
1: Hi, I'm Guy Pajarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak, and you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybits.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic for us to discuss, find us on Twitter at The Secure Dev. So hello everybody, uh, welcome back to The Secure Developer. Thanks for joining us. Today we have a great guest with us, we have Dan Curnell from the Denim Group. Welcome Dan.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: It's great to have you join us, Dan for many, many reasons, and there's a lot of interesting topics I want us to talk about today. but a big kind of starting point for it is that you have been in this world of application security for a long long stretch, and I'd love to sort of pick your brain and hear a little bit about the evolution of it So before we dig into it, can you share a little bit about you know who you are, what you do, and a little bit of of your your background getting into today
0: mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I'm Dan Cornell. I'm the CTO and one of the founders of Denim Group, uh, and I'm a software developer by background. Uh, you know, computer science degree, uh, math minor because I was really cool when I was in college. And uh, you know, again, software development. I did a lot of server side Java in the mid to late '90s. Did a lot of uh, you know, some early server side .NET stuff in the early 2000s. But really, what I've spent the majority of my time in my career doing over the last 15 years is working to bridge the gap between security teams and development teams, you know, trying to help organizations understand the risks that they are exposed to because of the software that they're building and, and to help them from a you know systematic standpoint to create a development or development life cycles that let them create secure software reliably. And so I'm a software developer who came into the world of security as opposed to being someone with a more traditional security background, you know, either in you know systems administration and network penetration testing or IT audit or something like that. Yeah. And that's definitely, I
1: think today a very valuable perspective, you know, coming into it. I think a lot of the conversations I've had the pleasure of of having here on the podcast. Show that you know the brightest minds in the world of of security today and AppSec today have had you know some some good investment in Dev in their background. So I guess you know during that time you know tell us a little bit about you know your work in application security you know over the last you know what is it like fifteen years now? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, as you do work you know just to to set some context of you know what you've seen.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, I'd always had an interest in security, even you know going through uh, you know th- through my university education, uh, and after that, you know, I followed the stuff that the Loft folks were doing. Um, again, I was you know, writing e-commerce websites at the time, not <laughs> directly responsible for security, or, 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 so, or so I thought. <laughs> and Now I think everyone's learned that everybody writing code is responsible for security, but that wasn't a primary concern of mine. But it was certainly an interest of mine but again my background was in custom software development you know running a consulting company that did that or consulting companies that did that and about 15 years ago, was introduced to uh, John Dixon, who's now uh, also one of the principals at Denim Group. And John's background is much more that of a traditional security guy. You know, he came out of the Air Force uh, as the Air Force Intelligence Officer, Information Warfare Officer, had worked in Information Risk Management KPMG, and so his resume looks much more like the traditional security practitioner. And we were introduced at a tech networking event and, and, and got to talking. And uh, you know, as we were talking, I said, well, here's my background as a software developer. I'm interested in security stuff. And he said, well... Everybody in the security space has a resume that looks like mine, but I think the really interesting problems, the really, really scary and challenging problems that there are right now are all around applications. You know, it's not that the network and infrastructure layer has been solved, but everybody at this point has pretty much figured out they needed to put up a firewall, but they poke holes in the firewall and ports 80 and 443. And so the real security challenges that we're seeing right now are at this level but none of the existing set of professionals or none of the you know, installed base, if you will, of uh, you know, security people understand software development, understand IDEs, understand web programming. You know, all the folks in security that have a background doing programming did COBOL or FORTRAN way back whenever. You know, that's really at Denim Group what started the genesis of our security practice was saying, let's look at what we're doing on the custom application development side of things. You know, and and there's things that we knew we had a responsibility for security. Uh, you know, again, you know, encrypting credit card data as it's uh, you know in transit and, and it's in, in rest. Uh, you know, really that was a lot. You know, that was that was kind of the limit. <laughs> you know, but let's look beyond that to start to look at. What are the security implications of the code that organizations are writing? And so, you know, out of that set of conversations is really how, you know, both me uh, personally and and you know, kind of professionally, with what I was doing, you know, as well as what we were doing at Denim Group, the consulting services that we were offering uh, expanded. You know, when we started working with John, based on that set of conversations.
1: And so, maybe let's dig a little bit into some examples. So, you know, you come in, you work with companies to to an extent, fix either existing or sort of explicit security flaws, or fix how they handle security. You know, in this process, right? Can you give us some examples of common blockers? I mean, why aren't these companies addressing these security risks? And you know, what changes do you sort of start by doing? You know, mm-hmm. inside a company that you know keeps them from being self-sufficient here in the first place.
0: Right. So there's there's a couple of different reasons of why an organization isn't addressing security risk. And it kind of goes along the maturity spectrum, where at at every level of maturity, you have an excuse not to address security. (laughs) And kind of at the the base level or the entry level, a lot of organizations haven't thought of their applications as being a conduit for security attacks. When people think security, they think, oh, well, that's a specialized sub you know division of the IT genre those are the guys that do antivirus they do firewalls and they make us watch the training videos every year to not click on bad links you know th- that that's what security is right so those organizations at an exceptionally low level of maturity don't even know that it's a problem and when you ask them if their applications are secure they say uh, you know, yes, we've got a firewall and we've, uh, you know, and, and I bought the the fancy SSL certificate from, uh, you know, from our <laughs> provider. Right. And so, so those people don't even know they have a problem. And, and in a lot of ways, you know, that's kind of the most challenging organizations to work with because, you know, it's, it's all evangelism. You've got to convince these people that the way they're viewing the world is, you know, not comprehensive enough. And that's a big uphill climb. Then you get into organizations that are more sophisticated where they know it's a problem, and uh, you know and, and and probably they've done some assessments they've identified some vulnerabilities uh, but the you know the challenge there is that a lot of times the security team and the development team they, they don't communicate well. you know they don't speak the same language, they don't use the same tools, and they have in a lot of cases, if you look in the short term competing aims. And so the challenge we see with security in more mature organizations is, you know, they know they have a problem, but that problem is prioritized below other things that are being done. You know, they're, hey, we've got all this other work to do. Now you're adding this security stuff on top of that that I, you know, maybe knew I needed to do, but didn't really recognize. And so, like I said, at, at every stage of organization's lifecycle development, they can always find something else to do, because security isn't the only thing that organizations need to care about. And I think that's something that a lot of people in the security industry need to wrap their heads around is what they're doing is important uh, and valuable. Risk management is a key component of what organizations need to do if they want to survive. But in a lot of cases, that is defense, or certainly in most organizations, it's seen as defense, not as an enabler. And uh, yeah, I, think, I think security people need to understand like, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on that is much more directly generating business value. And so figuring out how to incorporate security as a, as a component, but ultimately making that more of an enabler uh, is where I think a lot of security teams need to place their focus as they're trying to stay part of the conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I talk a lot about why humans make insecure decisions, and maybe specifically why developers or security people make insecure decisions. And you know, the first bullet in there is around motivations, right? It's around you know what is it that you're doing. And developers fundamentally, they're building, they're building functionality, they're building scale, and security is a necessity within that. But it is not their primary motivation. You know, they they don't set out to build something secure. They set out to build something that does something exactly, and they need it to be secure uh, in that process.
0: Right. And we just think career path. If you are think of your reputation on your team, right? And if your reputation on the team is that guy writes really secure code and he's never met a deadline that he signed up for uh, versus <laughs> the guy who, you know, it's yeah, you know, hey, that guy is a little bit of a cowboy, but he, you know, but like every time he delivers on time on target. You know which of those two individuals is going to experience greater customer success? Yeah, you know, just from a competition standpoint, the person that uh, can never quite get it done is less valuable in most cases for teams than the person who, you know, like finds a way to get the job done. Uh, you yeah. know, and obviously those are two extremes. But if you think of what characteristics or what qualities uh, what uh, you know accomplishments are given the the credit uh, and are recognized and are appreciated and rewarded it's important to see those motivations and the incentive factors that are in place yeah so I guess actually let's double click a little bit into this
1: communication so you know you come into a team you know let's say that you know sort of sort of second level of maturity right they they have the development team and and security team not communicating well. You you mentioned that they might even have competing aims. Like, what are the different you know, aims that you see in those, and and what what are a few types of practices that you try to instill to to help fix that?
0: So, from the security side, typically the aim or the aim should be: let's bring an appropriate level of risk management to what we're doing in the organization, so that we're supporting. Innovation, we're supporting progress, uh, but that we're not putting the organization in a situation where it's too exposed. You know, and there's there's kind of different ways to look at that, but you know, that's how I view most security teams. Is at, at the base level, let's make sure that we don't do anything that's going to get us breached in an unacceptable way. Uh, mm-hmm. And in a and in a better way, like let's look at see how by providing this risk management, we can enable the organization to do even better things. Uh, you know, like having a a, a net under your tightrope act. On the development side, you know, it's, it's their goal to provide new capabilities to provide innovation that is going to allow the organization to be successful in the marketplace to, and to provide value to its various stakeholders. Again, in a lot of situations, it's the development teams that are saying like, "We need to go, go, go," because the business told us go, go, go. And security is perceived as being the department of no, like, "Hey, we want to do this, uh, you know, hey, fill out this form." Like, no, we're not going to let you do that, but fill out this form instead, right? You know, and, and and so, it's not that either group is right or wrong, but again, looked at in the most basic way you know one group's trying to move forward one group is perceived as trying to slow that forward progress and and that's a real that creates a lot of problems
1: how do we fix that you know like what are some sample advice uh, pieces of advice that you give to these organizations or that you work with them on on applying to get
0: them to a better place the attitude i think in security can change, and it's like improv comedy, where you know, an improv comedy, the way you're not supposed to do that. If somebody says, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who forgot to take my umbrella and it was a rainstorm, and the next person takes over and says. Well, no. Actually, we're going to do this other thing. Uh, you know, in, in improv comedy. You're supposed to say or whatever the other person say, says. You're supposed to say yes, and. And so, I think the security teams need to be a little bit of improv comedy, where when somebody comes up and says, hey, "I've got this crazy idea," where you know we're going to have a website where you don't have to log in, and uh, you, it doesn't make you log in, but it's still going to give you access to your account. It's not security's job to say, like, no, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. It's their responsibility to say, yes, that's a very interesting idea, and here are some things that I think we could do to address some potential problems with that. And that kind of change in attitude toward, oh, my users are stupid, I wish they'd stop doing this, the developers are stupid, I need the executives to help me uh, you know, shut them down. A, a perspective of, I need to stop these folks is going to be pretty defeating for the security people because in organizations that the value you derive from moving forward and increasingly the value you create from being able to move forward and innovate quickly, in a lot of cases outstrips the short-term risks that you're exposed to. And so, you know, again, organizations are going to say, where are our incentives? Certain organizations may need to be the most secure. I think even in organizations that believe that they need to be secure, like at the end of the day, really know that they need to be serving customers, That they need to be driving forward, that they need to be innovating. And those are the forces that are going to win in the marketplace. And so, you know, for security folks, I think it's really important for them to view themselves as enablers and how can we how can we help us move more quickly, safely, as opposed to the default answer to anything being like, well, no, no, we can't do that, or how can I slow this down or put some additional control in place?
1: Yeah, and I always am struck by the analogies to the DevOps movement, right? Or sort of how you know the, the word security there could have been swapped for the word ops, you know, in, in some earlier point in time, you know, a decade ago or not even. And you know that has changed and I think the, the most successful businesses are the ones indeed indeed the operations is a business enabler look we do ops so amazingly well that that allows us to move faster and still do it in, in a high caliber ops environment and I guess the, the the goal would be to have security work in the same fashion um, I also love that a lot of times when you talk to talk about developer security and talk about you know mobilizing a more secure modern dev environment, A lot of the conversation rotates around what developers should do, but I very much relate to the fact that there are just as important changes, right? Of sometimes more so, that the security team needs to change. You know that the security industry needs to change to get to that better place. Do you see that acceptance changing? I mean, you know, you've you've seen the AppSec world, the OWASP world. You know, like all this evolution of uh, application security for for all this stretch. Do you feel like there is acceptance or reluctance to this right now. You know, is it becoming, you know, known wisdom that they need to change, that we as a, as an application security industry need to change? Or do you think people are still pushing back against it?
0: I think if you look at the people in the industry, they exist on a spectrum of that understanding, and the same thing if you look at organizations, they exist on a spectrum of that understanding, and I think that. With my experience in OWASP and the the, the the people, the type of people that are involved in OWASP, I think they very strongly have that understanding or that that, that point of view, which I believe is right and we'll, we'll ultimately see if it's right. But I think that a lot of the leaders in OWASP very much have that view, which is saying this is – Know, per Steve Ballmer, all about the developers, right? Developers, developers, developers. You know, the way that I look at it, at the end of the day, the developers are going to have to change their behavior and change their actions if we want to see more secure code. You know, obviously, there are external things that you can you know, bolt onto or insert into the process. There's, you know, there's there's a uh, WAF, there's RASP, and I think those certainly have a place in a program and in a protection scheme. But at the end of the day, Developers are going to need to change their behavior to stop introducing new vulnerabilities into code. Developers are going to need to change their actions to fix the vulnerabilities that are already out there. And so security certainly has a role in advising, in building awareness, in providing direction. But at the end of the day, if you want more secure applications uh, in your organization, it's the developers that are going to have to do something different tomorrow than what they did today. And as a result, you know, per my view, and I think per you know, folks on OWASP, a lot of the leading voices in the industry, the way that they view this is very much, how do we support and enable developers with their training education, with the way that they are setting up the processes, with the tools they're using? How do we change these factors so that we get better security outcomes?
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, the evolution at the end of the day, the entity that is taking on the responsibility, or, or, or rather, you know, there's work that needs to get done. You know, the the security actions, the security activities need to happen. So you want to enable and empower developers, but you know they need to embrace that responsibility. So let's indeed sort of double click a little bit about how to make it easier, you know, and around tools. And maybe it's sort of a good opportunity to bring up Thread Fix. You know, you have this is a a product offering, I guess, from your space as well, that I I found really exciting. You know, as I was sort of digging into it, do you want to tell us a little bit about what uh, what ThreadFix is and and what brought it about? Right, right.
0: And, and first, it's not a product; it's a platform.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> <been> already
1: <laughs> already project,
0: Yeah, I've told a lot of people this story, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you the story of how ThreadFix came about, and it came about from us watching the interactions between security teams and dev teams uh, and so, so we were working in a financial services organization helping them set up their uh, you know software security assurance or program their you know, secure development lifecycle and uh, one of the security analysts needed to do testing on a web application, one of their important line of business, web applications. So he took one of the uh, commercial scanners, ran a scan, generated a 300-page PDF with a color graph on the front, and then uh, yeah, went and handed it to the development team and said, yeah, I'm from security, I'm here to help. Uh, you know, we did yeah. some testing of your application. We found a number of vulnerabilities. Uh, and because security is really important, we need you to fix this stuff. And you know, the developer, uh, you're playing along, said, uh, "Okay, uh, you know this is a, a pretty big report. Which of these vulnerabilities do we have to fix?" And security said, "Well, um, you know, this is security. You have to fix all of them. This is the <laughs> this is the most important thing. <laughs> there's hackers out there." <laughs> and uh, you know, and, and <laughs> the developer said, "Okay, well, uh, how do I fix them? You know, we, we didn't put these vulnerabilities in there intentionally. <laughs> how do we fix the vulnerabilities?" And the security person said, "Well, I think I'm pretty sure that there's some instructions in the report on how to do that." security person wanders off, the developer you know, takes the report, puts it in the bottom drawer of their desk and, and and forgets about it. A couple months later, they were doing some perimeter scanning. And so they had a different service uh, you know, that they turned on, pointed at this application, ran another scan, generated a you know, PDF document with a 200-page you know, PDF with a different color graph on the front. And the security representative went to the dev team lead and said, uh, hey, we did some more security testing here's the, a report of additional stuff that you need to do. Oh, by the way, like how did fixing all that other stuff turn out? And the uh, you know, dev team representative said, well, how is this different than what you gave me before? Is this the you know, is this the same vulnerabilities, different vulnerabilities? Uh, you know, I don't understand. And the security representative said, well, I, I don't know. There might be some overlap. There might be some same things, different things. You know, not Not sure. <laughs> so the... Development team lead went up to their line of business management and said, hey, the security guy came around again, and this time he's actively wasting my time because he's got this report, this 300 pages, he's got this report, this 200 pages, You know, he can't tell me where there's overlap, he can't tell me what I'm supposed to fix. Like I've got these features that this hotshot VP promised to an important customer, and I've got to get those out the door. And we've got these performance bugs that are really aggravating some people, and we have non-security-related bugs that are making customers angry. Like, how do I prioritize all of this stuff? And so a rock got dropped from on high on the security team that said, you can't speak to another developer until you can provide them a single list of what needs to be fixed until you can provide a justification for these vulnerabilities of why they need to be fixed rather than we continue implementing these features that we've promised to customers or do other things that we need to do and you need to provide specific instructions on how to fix these vulnerabilities like until you can meet those criteria you don't have the authorization to speak to another person on a development team and so you know the security representative does what is natural, fires up Excel and starts cutting and pasting the results from the different reports in and trying to deduplicate them. And so we watched this interaction and, and and a couple things struck us. Like number one, no organization feels like their security team is overstaffed or underworked, or at least I haven't met one. If they, if, if you, if there's a team out there and you have a job opening, please let me know. I would, I would love to be your colleague. <laughs> All right. So every so every security team has very limited resources. You know, and, and this is obviously a misuse of these resources. But what what I also realized and noticed from this was neither of these groups was working in bad faith right no, nobody was trying to be a jerk nobody was trying to you know nobody's playing like crazy politics or anything like that the security analyst was trying to test the website find vulnerabilities and hopefully get their risk reduced by getting getting those vulnerabilities resolved right like that was that person's job and they were doing it the best that they knew how Looking at the development team, you know, it's it's not like they wanted to write code that had security vulnerabilities in it, right? It's not like they're maliciously saying, like, we're gonna show that security guy, let's see, uh, let's see if we can get 10 more SQL injections in our in our application, right? Yeah. But they were doing what they needed to do, which was to you know, build features that allowed for innovation and made customers happy, and to address the most glaring issues that were degrading their customers' experience, you know, performance problems, non-security related bugs. And, and whatnot. And so both groups were acting in what they thought were uh, appropriate ways, but the communication pattern was so horrible that neither group is ever going to get anything done. Uh, and they were just destined to be in conflict with one another. And so, you know, watching that interaction and kind of it was great to have, be you know, a fly on the wall, uh, if you will, to watch these interactions. Because that showed us a pattern that we saw over and over again in organizations, which is that the security teams and the development teams are speaking different languages. They have, at least in the short term, they have very different motivations and incentives. And the way that they're communicating, You know, because they're using different tools, the way that they're communicating, they're, they're in a lot of cases talking past one another. And so you know, watching that interaction actually led us to build out ThreadFix uh, you know, t- to say, how can we make it easier for on the left side of the equation for security teams to manage all the different stuff that they're doing to identify vulnerabilities, dynamic scanning, static scanning, you know, component lifecycle management, open source vulnerabilities, things of that nature, along with all the manual stuff. But then on the right side of the equation, how do we turn these Vulnerabilities that the security team cares about. How do we turn those into software change requests or software defects that the development teams care about? Because that is like if if you think about it, going to a development team and saying ninety percent of the time when you're doing your work, you guys are using Jira or Bugzilla or whatever whatever defect tracking system you're using. So, but ninety percent of the time, you manage your workload in this tool. 10% Ten percent of the time, when you're doing magic security stuff, you work off this PDF that we've printed out and put sticky notes on. If you take a step back and describe it that way, it's a crazy way to communicate with dev teams. Mm-hmm. But, but, but that's still the way that security communicates with these development teams: is hey, we're going to do some testing. We're going to shoot over a PDF. We're going to do some testing. We're going to shoot you an Excel spreadsheet, and we expect you to work down, you know, through that in order to address these issues that we found. And so, uh, you know, it's it's those. Data management challenges, but more importantly, the communication challenges that led us to put together Thread Fix.
1: Wow, that's an amazing kind of cautionary tale, and, and you're right; it resonates oh so painfully you know, when, uh, when you hear it. Right, it just sort of happens uh, so often. We see it all often in the world of uh, open source security, where you ask somebody about how do they handle open source vulnerabilities, and you'll get a you know ten minute answer about all the. Wondrous ways, well, hopefully, right. In some cases, you get a fairly <laughs> alarming, like, "No, we don't" uh, answer. But if you know if there's good progress, you'd say, "You know, I'm we're, we're finding them here and finding them there and finding them here." And then you ask them, "Well, so you're finding them there, but how do you handle those vulnerabilities? You know, what do you do next?" Then suddenly there's like a disastrous story about you know multiple triage uh, committees and they fall into these buckets and those buckets into these custom processes. You know, of sub sub security team under the top security team, and at the end of the day, the sort of path to remediation is is nowhere near as as good or as <laughs> concrete as it should be. You know, when at the end of the day, everybody agrees that that's the end goal, right? It's not just to find them. You know, it's find them first, do the risk management, but then subsequently fix it, right? Improve the risk posture. So, ThreadFix is kind of aimed for that communication channel. And do you see it like, is it a tool that makes? The developers smile or the security people or both, you know, who's typically digging in?
0: So our goal is to if we're successful looking at the average developer, they don't even necessarily know that ThreadFix is being used in their organization because from a philosophical standpoint, ThreadFix is really targeted at the application security team. You know, hey, lay out your, here's all the, you know, find all the teams developing software in your organization, all the applications they're responsible for, and then load in the results of all the testing you're doing static, dynamic, I asked, you know, open source management, you know, manual pen testing, code reviews, all that stuff. And let the security team manage the data inside of ThreadFix to determine which of the vulnerabilities that we think are the most serious, uh, you know, which has com- compliance implications, service level agreement implications, you know, whatever that might be. But then what we want to do is we want to reach out to developers in the tools that they're already using. You know, in this case, most specifically defect tracking tools. And so let's bundle up these vulnerabilities that we consider to be sufficiently important to merit developer attention, bundle them up in a way that is going to make sense uh, and create defects based on that. So maybe that's grouping things by vulnerability type, uh, you know, maybe by where in the application they're located, whatever, whatever that might be. But how do we bundle these things up and make that transition between vulnerabilities that the security teams care about and bugs or backlog that the development teams care about, and so for most developers, you know they don't need to log into ThreadFix. You know they don't need to learn a new tool. They don't need to have a new login. Uh, you don't need to train them. They're just going to get bugs that show up. They get assigned to them in their Scrum meeting or you know, whatever meeting tempo that the organization has. Uh, you know those bugs are just going to show up in their defect tracking system, saying, "Here's the problem. Here's how to fix it. Let us know when you're done." And so. That's really what we strive to do is, how do we make it as easy as possible for developers to get the information they need to fix these problems? How do we take friction out of that process? Because if you can take friction out of the process, what we found is that developers fix more bugs faster. I want to say in uh, one organization we worked with, the mean time to fix went down by, I think, 46%, I think, uh, which is great because just like you said before, finding vulnerabilities is an important part of the process um, but getting them fixed is where the world actually gets better right you know finding again I've been doing uh, you know, app security testing you know uh, for 15 years or something like that finding vulnerabilities isn't the problem right that's never been a problem in any of the testing engagements yeah. uh, you know in, in any organization that's rolled out static analysis dynamic analysis I asked you know in all my experience, doing testing, helping organizations set up testing programs, finding vulnerabilities isn't the issue. And actually finding vulnerabilities in a lot of cases is the problem because you stack up this mound of vulnerabilities, you know, that is just like monotonically increasing in size because things aren't getting fixed. Where organizations really get value, the win for organizations is to figure out which are the actually important vulnerabilities that need to be addressed and to get those resolved and pushed into production by the development and the operations teams. And that is where organizations struggle. <laughs> Again, uh, you know, we've seen so many static analysis rollouts um, where you know each app that you go through, you're stacking up more and more vulnerabilities and especially looking at a lot of the kind of untuned static analysis engines, they're just stacking up a bunch of you know info or low level you know, stuff. same thing with dynamic analysis and any type of automated analysis you're doing, it's going to generate a lot of stuff and some of it's false positives, some of the stuff you maybe don't worry about. But again you get this like mound of vulnerabilities that just increases in size over time. More attention needs to be paid to the other side of that process, which is how do we figure out of the vulnerabilities that we've identified, which of these are we actually going to fix and how do we get them in front of the developers to get them to fix them and it's a lot less sexy. You know, you're not going to be speaking at DefCon about your sweet remediation <laughs> hacks. <laughs> Although, you know, I think Black Hat has some more uh, Blue Team stuff uh, this, this year, which is great. But, it, but again, if you if you look at the industry, you know, the the, the infosec rock stars are not the ones you know, that, that are that are fixing the most stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's no, there's those
1: well hacking the gyps and the uh,
0: you know finding a <laughs> you know whatever breaking into your brain. Uh, yeah, in exactly the novel. right. Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 it's, it's not to say that that is not valuable, but that is something that. That is very discreet. I went in, I did a test, I found this stuff. You know, it's a uh, you know a, a challenging intellectual endeavor to do testing to find new things. The you know the real challenge comes on the other side where you're fighting with. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to butcher the quote, but I think Wendy neither. You know it calls like le- level 8 in the OSI model is like politics. <laughs> level 7 is applications, level 8 politics. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering that quote, but where, where you see, okay, well, we've done all the technical stuff that we need to do to find the vulnerabilities. Now we've got to hack humans and systems in order to get these vulnerabilities resolved. And that is, uh, you know, for, for better or for worse, that is not as cool as finding the stuff in the first place.
1: Yep, but no less, if not more important. So, you know, sounds awesome. If somebody just as a as a subsequent, if somebody wanted to check out
0: ThreadFix and try it out, where uh where do they go? Then go to threadfix.it and uh we've got a free download trial and um the easiest way to get up and running if you just submit the contact form we can share with you. We've got a like an Amazon image uh, given an account number and a region, we can just shoot that over to you and you spin it up, it's already pre configured. Awesome. Um,
1: so I think uh, Dan, this has been you know there's like a whole bunch of other questions that I have and all that, but I think we're running a little bit out of time it's been a really, really fascinating conversation around kind of the evolution of not just the sort of the dev to security but also the security to dev channel, you know including kind of the start conversation and the and sort of thread fix and, and what it represents, and at the end of the day, communication cannot be one way. You know, it has to be uh, it has to be both channels. But we need to adapt and create those communication channels. So, awesome conversations and thanks for for sort of sharing your experience. Before I let you uh, disappear here a little bit, I have one question that I like to ask every uh, every guest on the show, which is if you had one. Sort of pet peeve or top advice uh, that you had around security to to sort of offer a team looking to level up their sort of modern dev security posture. What would your sort of one bit of advice be?
0: I think my pet peeve. I don't know if I'd call it a pet peeve, but one of the things that I think has tremendous promise is this security champions model, where you have certainly a, a central security team that is providing certain functions, but you start to embed security knowledge into dev teams so that every dev team has, hey, here's the security person I can go talk to if I've got a question about a vulnerability, or I've got a question about authentication authorization. I think the model of having... Uh, this monolithic security group that does everything is destined to you know, is, is destined to fail. Uh, and it's, again, it's not to say that the central security groups don't have an important role, but I think that looking at how do we embed some security knowledge, whether that's taking someone on a given team that has an interest or an aptitude for security and providing them with some training and some development, uh, or whether that's taking someone from the outside and embedding them in that team. But I think that again, along with the you know DevOps cultural transformation to say, you know, development and operations at the end of the day have the same goal of how do we generate uh, shareholder value for this business, or how do we meet you know generate stakeholder value? I think similarly breaking those barriers down between security teams and development teams is critical for success. How do we make security knowledge local so that every team has the ability to easily reach out for it? And again that kind of security champions model of having embedded expertise and knowledge is one that I've found to uh, to have a tremendous amount of success and value.
1: Excellent. No, that's a great uh, a great tip and bit of advice. So then thanks a lot for coming on to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really had a, a great time. And thanks everybody for tuning in and join us for the next one. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show or want us to cover a specific topic, find us on Twitter at the secure debt. To learn more about Heavy Beat, browse to heavybeat.com. You can find this podcast and many other great ones as well as over 100 videos about building developer tooling companies given by top experts in the field.